Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Right. Today, our guests are Elizabeth Clark, who is a PhD student at University of Washington, working on natural language generation, and is a member of the sounding board team, uh, the UW uh, team that recently won the Amazon Alexa Prize. And also we have in the room Yang Feng Ji, who is currently a postdoc at the University of Washington and will soon be joining University of Virginia as an assistant professor. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, the paper we're discussing, we're discussing today is titled Neural Text Generation in Stories Using Entity Representations as Context by Elizabeth Clark, Yang Feng Ji, and Noah Smith. It won the Outstanding Paper Award at NACL 2018, an honor only given to four papers this year. So, welcome to the podcast. Um, uh, what's the main motivation for this work? So, I've been working on story generation and collaborative story writing, where you have a setup that involves a person sitting down and writing a story with uh, the help of a computer. So, specifically, at every other sentence, the computer generates a suggestion for the next part of the story. So we've had people come in and actually write with these systems uh, and give us feedback on what they think about the text that the models are generating to help them as they write. And one thing that people said is that they really liked writing in the setup with help from, from the model, but that they really needed the models to improve before that they, they would actually consider using this in any sort of writing test. And so we found that the, one of the main things they talked about was coherence. The, the fact that they felt that the suggestions that the model was generating, they didn't make sense with the broader context of the story. And one common piece of that was the fact that they didn't refer back to any of the entities or characters that had already been discussed in the story. So one person said, um, I wish that I paid more attention to my character names and that the generated sentences would also reference these characters once I had introduced them into the story. And when later on in the story it starts introducing all of these random character names, uh, it really breaks with what the writer's trying to do if they're trying to just wrap up the story or conclude to just all of a sudden start introducing new characters. So Yang Fang had recently worked on a paper that had looked at keeping track of entities um, for doing things like language modeling and co-reference resolution. And so it seemed like uh, a perfect solution to try and plug that into to a story generation system to try and address that issue. That's very interesting. How does the um, system work with the, uh, with the users? Uh, how does it interact with the users? So the setup that we have right now is turn-taking. So we just have a website, and we begin with sort of a visual prompt, and we ask the person to write the first line of the story, and then the computer suggests the second line of the story, and then they can edit that as much as they want before they go on and write another sentence by themselves, and so on and so forth. And so there's a lot of questions there about how do you actually set up that collaboration, um, and then also on the modeling side, how do you build models that will make suggestions that are, that are useful to the person. So are you viewing this mostly as an aid to creativity? Like, what's the user story for writers here? Why is this useful? I guess some context. I, I like listening to a podcast called Writing Excuses that are a, it's a bunch of authors talking about how they write. And I'm just thinking about how would these people actually use such a system? I'm just curious what your thought is. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when we, when we did this user study, the people that came in to write with the system varied. So some of them were professional writers or 
hobbyist writers that wrote a lot. Um, and then we had people with little to no writing experience. And one of the interesting things is the type of support, as you might imagine, uh, differs depending on your experience with writing. So people who were more experienced writers, they were interested in things like um, preventing writer's block, maybe, like coming up with, with new ideas that they get stuck or ideas that they might not have considered. Um, they, they wanted more uh, on-demand help, if you will. Like, they wanted to write on their own, and then when it was whenever they were feeling stuck, they could go and seek help. Whereas more uh, novice writers who maybe weren't that experienced and were pretty intimidated by a, an open-ended uh, creative writing task, having more structure, more regular support in that setting, um, that was more important to them. So it, it, it depends, I guess. You, can, you could see it being sort of an educational tool for people learning how to write. You could see it being a tool for professional authors. Um, and the way that you, you build those interactions, and again, even on the modeling side, might look very different for, for those two different audiences. Yeah, that's really interesting. So how does the model generate words? That's the main model uh, that's proposed in the paper, something that uh, allows you to represent entities and uh, generate the next words in a, in, a, in a narrative. So how does the model work? So the model that we propose in this paper um, builds off of a seek-to-seek -seek baseline, which is what we had used in previous writing tasks. And so the, the context that that uses is the context of the sentence that's currently being generated. So of the sentence that you've generated so far, what are the words you've already output? It also uses the previous line of the story, so it gets a representation of that, and it uses that context as well. And the third piece of it is now, what about the entities in the story? Can we keep track of those and use information by what's happened to all of those entities, what we've seen so far, as an additional source of context as we generate the next sentence? So I guess let's zoom into the entities component here, uh, because I think that's the most interesting part. How does it work? Uh, this, you mentioned this is reusing some of the earlier work that Tim did. Uh, could you explain what the entity and then that's the component uh, does and how it works? Sure. So I guess I can give the high level of your country and give a little bit more detail. But the basic idea is that as you go throughout a text, uh, every time you encounter an entity, there's a vector that's created to represent that entity. And each time it's mentioned, that vector representation is updated. So when it comes time to generate the, word, the next word of the story, what you have access to is a collection of vectors, one for each entity, uh, that represents kind of the current state of that entity and the narrative so far. And so when it comes time to generate the next word, the model makes a couple of decisions. Uh, it decides first, should the next word refer to an entity? Uh, if so, which entity should it refer to? How many words should be in the mention? Uh, things like that. And based uh, on that decision, so if it decides the next word should refer to uh, entity A, then it takes entity A's representation at the current time and uses that as another form of context as it generates. So is, is this a hard decision at every time step? So just thinking of like, um, end-to-end -end learning, backpropagation back through hard decisions, um, doing an argmax is not differentiable. So are you are you actually making a hard decision about what it, which entity is represented? And then if so, how do you actually train this thing? So uh, it is a hard decision. And uh, in this work, we actually require the training data to have the cross-reference information annotated. So which means we have that part of the information and we don't need uh, 
to decode the softmax because we already have the ground truth. And we use the ground truth to guide the softmax to do a right decision about which entity we should use or which should create a new entity. I see. So I guess you say you have a vector representing each entity and you select the entity and use that vector. Another very common thing to do would be to, for instance, have an attention over entities and do a weighted sum of the entity vectors and use that instead, right? Uh, and then you don't have to have labels for like which entity um, is actually being referred to. You, so you could train this on more data. I assume you tried this at some point. Did you? And if so, what happened? So the, what I described is very similar to the prior work is trying to keep tracking the entity. And what we do here is we want each entity representation to have a specific meaning about what happened to uh, to one particular entity in the text. So that's why we made the hard decision instead of doing soft uh, soft version like use the attention to take it with some. I guess the big difference is the, the model you described. Uh, there will be uh, flexibility as the model will have a big potential because you have like a, you have a weighted sum and that will increase the potential of the model. But in our case, we particularly interested in, for example, text generation. We want entity representation to encode each individual entity information instead of just you know, mix mix them up together. So I guess the trade-off here is that you're relying a little too much on the CoreF model, but other other than like the mistakes that CoreF model is going to be doing, you don't really need any more additional annotation. It's the same training data. Okay, yeah, you're right. You can just use the system's output. That makes more sense. Okay, yep. I guess that begs the question of how good is the CoreF? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's a reasonable question. Not perfect, definitely not perfect. So one thing that we found in the data, so we got these automatic annotations and we saw that some of the entity mentions were I think over 70 words long or something like that. And uh, we assumed that was an error. So we ended up filtering it. So we were only considering entity mentions that had at most three words. Um, and part of that was because we were interested in mainly character. Characters were a very motivating part of this. So. We filtered those out, but it, it's not perfect. So as we improve CoreF systems, we expect this model to perform better as well. Yeah, another thing uh, from the reference resolution result, what we find is uh, it has a relatively high precision than recall, which means uh, most of the time, if they find there is a reference link, it is correct. But there is another big chunk that just missed the reference link. Which, uh, which is also means like it's okay to use this. I mean, since the precision is high, but uh, the, the precision is high. Anyway. So there are uh, different components in this model. Uh, there is the part that captures the context from three different sources of information, previous sentence, the current sentence, and the previous entities. Um, and there is the part that predicts what, what we're going to do, whether we're going to be generating entities or not, and which entity. And then there is the part that generates text whether this is an entity or not. And each of these components have parameters, right? How do you, so you mentioned how you train, how you fit the model for the entities, the, to make the entities decisions. How about the other components? Are they trained independently? Uh, or? So when the model makes a prediction, it predicts all of the information at once. So it, predict, uh, it predicts whether, what the word is, but it also generates all of these, the entity information as well, the, whether it refers uh, which entity it refers to, how many words are in it, etc. Yeah, so it's making all of those predictions 
at once. So it's the same training set and used to optimize all the parameters of the model yeah. together. Yeah, to do end-to-end training. I mean, all the information we use to predict the world. Once the world predicts, we can use this discern to optimize all the parameters we have. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then how do you update the entity embeddings? So you mentioned there you maintain one embedding for each entity throughout, but it's updated. And how does that update happen? That updating is a combination of the, the previous representation of the embedding and the hidden state. Those are combined to update the so the hidden state for that uh, for from the LSTM representing the current sign. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, like a weighted sum or, or like a combination. It's a function of both these two inputs. So, I think to recap, then, as I understand the model, let me see if I have this right. Um, you have a seek-to-seek -seek model with attention. That's just given the previous sentence, generate the next sentence. That's how you're doing that. You could also think of this as like a, a conditional language model that's conditioned on the previous sentence, um, but I guess with attention. So just a seek-to-seek -seek model with attention there to generate the sentence. And then you also have this entity neural language model from prior work that tries to um, keep track of what entities are present and use those to generate words. And then you're mixing these two somehow. And that's your language generation model. Is that a fair characterization of what's going on? Great. So we take each of the, the context vectors, of you, if you will, from each of these pieces, and we combine them together into a single context vector, which we use to generate the next word. And how do you, how do you combine them into a single context vector? So in this work, we use just mass pooling to combine all of the vectors together. Um, we didn't want to introduce any new parameters, um, and max pooling worked best out of a few different things that we tried, but you could think about other ways of, of taking these forms of context and combining them together in some way. I guess both of them will generate a distribution over words at every time step. You could imagine just mixing these two probabilities. Uh, is that Does that make sense? Is it something you tried? Does the question even make sense? So the seek-to-seek -seek model with attention is essentially a language model. It'll give you a distribution over words at every time step. So will the entity neural language model, right? And then you could imagine just like ensembling these two or mixing the probabilities instead of incorporating them with this max pooling operation in the middle. I'm just curious, like, is there anything interesting to say there about if it's better to combine them earlier uh, and let the model do something interesting or would you really get basically the same thing if you ensembled them at the end? I don't know. One of, I think one of the possible side effects of uh, making this decision later is that you, for the for the component that uh, just tries to condition to predict the entities, it will tend to to default. It will not be really using the entities a lot of the time because many of the tokens are not. But I guess that actually the central thesis of this paper is that you need the entity information most of the time while you're generating uh, narrative text. So I take that back. Oh, the uh, entity the entity representation has been used in every single step to predict the word. It's used to predict the entity dimension, but also used to predict the word after this entity dimension. Yeah, so it's that's why it's all time. So yeah, po yeah it's potentially what the mathematics suggesting could also work uh, for both. Cool, so how about the experiments? How, do you, how did you experiment with this model? What tasks did you try? Uh, so we had three different evaluations of the model. The first um, 
we really tried to look at the entity mentions themselves, make sure that we could generate uh, mentions to entities in an appropriate way. Uh, the second looked, moved out from just entity mentions and looked at text overall. And then the third was a human evaluation because that was um, one of one of the central motivating factors of this is how can we generate text to, pe to help people write stories or to generate stories that, that people want to read. So how uh, we wanted to make sure that we wanted to see what people actually look for and appreciate in generated text. So the first uh, was a mention generation task. And the way that this worked is we took stories. So, so the, corporate that we're, the purpose that we're using for all of this is the Toronto Book Corpus. So we're training it and testing it on um, adventure books specifically. And we took these um, passages from the book and we removed each of the entity mentions from them. And we had the models go through and fill in the blanks, if you will, where they were choosing entity mentions from a candidate list where the candidate list consisted of every entity that had been mentioned in the story so far. So in the very beginning, the very first blank that it needs to fill in, there's only one candidate, and that's the gold candidate. But then for the next step, there'll be two candidates, the gold and the previous entity mentioned, and so on and so forth until at the end of the passage, you can have over 100 candidates in the list. So it's really unfair to predict, expect the model to predict the first, the first mention correctly, right? It makes sense to predict that there is a new entity, but the name of the new entity is pretty much unknown, right? That's um, um, is that part of the evaluation? So for this specific evaluation, the first one is actually uh, trivial because there's only there's only one candidate to choose from. So in that sense, it is simpler. But yeah, if you were looking at this specific task and asking it to specifically generate some specific name that might be, that might be difficult. But you also evaluate the, uh, the surface forms of the, the actual strings that were generated, right? right? Not just that there is this, a new cluster. Here. Right. So that's a good point. So we did, we had three different versions of this. One was just generating clusters. One was generating um, the, the, the text itself. Um, and one was both. Yeah, making sure it was predicting the right cluster and the right string. The right mention is going back to that question. Yeah. And which one do you would you consider to be like the most reliable or the most useful one to for evaluating such a model? So predicting both the cluster and the mention that is the most difficult and the most important. We expect it to be able to not only um, know what words to predict, but or to generate, but also to know what those words are referring back to, which entities in the story. Okay, so how did the model fare for this task? So uh, the model that used both the representation of the previous sentence and the entity information was strongest across all of the all of these three versions of the test, and the entity model also performed well, which we would expect. So because that that's the other baseline that we consider that uses the entity information. So those two were were best at this entity related task, which is what we. Is this a language model? Would you call it a language model? So it's it's generating it's getting a distribution of the vocabulary and generating it from that. Um, you can use it as a language model, but it requires the cross-reference information at least uh, during the training. Right, but but at test time you could evaluate it as a language model. Like why why not include perplexity, just straight perplexity as a fourth option in this evaluation setting? 
the motivation of this experiment, we're basically trying to uh, trying to test the Western model, particularly on the anti-dimension generation task. And this is what, like one sub-task in text generation. We're actually inspired by the prior work people working on, like uh, the uh, referring expression generation, but we propose this task is slightly different from the, from the referring expression generation. The Hallowell idea, which is similar, is like, okay, now you have a, you have a mention you want to generate, like, okay, and uh, what are we trying to test is whether the model can pick the right entity and also the mention. In this case, it is not, uh, I mean, in language model, you evaluate like the whole text, including each dimension or the, the other text. But in this case, we just like uh, a particular component in the syntax. I guess going back to your your original motivation, what you were the the end goal for this is to use this system, just take the output text and show it to authors. And in that case, you're just generating text and I, perplexity doesn't seem like a totally useful metric there, but at least it is like. You, you just have text, and so in that sense, using perplexity seems like a reasonable evaluation metric, or at least one of the best ones we have, for better or worse, um, for this kind of system, right? Sure, yeah, so I think, so the first two evaluations were sort of intermediate ones, looking at the usefulness of the entity information specifically. I guess that in terms of zooming out to the text overall, that's the, the human evaluation that we did, where we didn't include any of this entity information and just looked at the text the text itself. I think the second experiment where we select the sentence is sort of like the language modeling test, where we compute the uh, the score of the next sentence based on the context. It's a variant, but yeah, uh, the per, like measuring perplexity is kind of a much harder. Uh, there's a much higher expectation of the model, not just to take between a few examples, but between like these like unlimited yeah, number of it, options. It's, it's sort of relevant to the. Yeah, but I, I, I think I disagree with you uh, here, Matt. I think perplexity is is the best we can do if we have no clue what the language model is going to be used for. But if we know that we want to use it for machine translation, then we, you, should use, you should use a, a more meaningful uh, metric like blue in order to evaluate how good this language model is working for that task. And I think here, given that they know what they want to use this for, I think it makes sense to actually focus on the more extrinsic, uh, let's say, tasks uh, that focus on this use case. Yeah, I agree. That's a really good point. And Elizabeth's answer um, pointing to the human evaluation was, I think, a great answer to my question. I agree. So I guess that leads us to, uh, could you take, talk more about the human evaluation? Sure, yeah. So in this evaluation, we took uh, story passages again, and we had two models generate the next line of the passage. So we had the, the full model using the entity information and the representation of the previous sentence, and then we had our, our seek-to-seek baseline that just that didn't have access to this entity information. So we had both of these models generate the next sentence, and we gave these to Turkers, and we had them choose which of these two sentences they thought best continued the story. Uh, and we didn't say anything about entities. We didn't really give them um, any more details, pointing them to the fact, to characters or anything like that. It was just choose one of these two sentences to continue the story. And then uh, we just had a text box at the bottom for them to explain why they made the decision that they did. And one of the things we, we wanted to get out of this evaluation was 
getting a better sense for what people actually pay attention to when they evaluate narrative text or story text that's been generated. What do they focus on? What makes or breaks these types of generated sentences for them? Um, and so one thing that we saw was that when we, when we had the full model and we, we did um, generate co-reference information correctly or words referred nicely back to characters that existed in the story, um, people didn't mention it. They, like That was never a reason why they chose a sentence that, um, oh, the co-ref was perfect. <laughs> I loved the sentence so much more than the baseline. But they did mention it when it went wrong. So, for example, there was one story where, where the seek to seek baseline had generated a sentence that had the word she, and there were no female characters in the context, and um, more people chose the full model sentence and said things like, um, oh, there was a she in that in the other sentence, and I that didn't seem to fit with what had happened. But coref was not the most free or character-related information like that was not uh, the only thing that people mentioned when they gave explanations. And the range of things that people cited as reasons for choosing the sentences that they did or for liking certain sentences over others, um, there was a lot of uh, variety there. So people mentioned things like oh, I thought this sentence better matched the tone or the theme of the story. Or there were all of these like common sense situation things where they didn't think things that were generated um, fit with the, the social scenario or um, were out of character for certain people or things like that, that our model is not uh, explicitly representing. So yeah, there's still a lot to do. Uh, this hopefully helps with one, one piece of it, but People um, are expecting different things. Some of them said, like, oh, I thought there would be more directions to to take the story in based on this sentence versus another. So there are a lot of open questions still in, in um, narrative text generation. So I guess that leads to many more papers on this, uh, on this <laughs> okay. direction. There's a lot to explore here. Yeah. <laughs> are you writing on your next uh, five papers based on their <laughs> suggestions? One for each of the right. pieces of feedback that we got, exactly. Um, and maybe could you just quickly uh, tell us about the results for the second um, for the second task? Oh, sure. So um, the second task was given a passage in two sentences. One sentence is the next sentence in the passage, and the second sentence is a distractor sentence that comes from the same story, um, but is from up to 50 sentences away from the gold one. Can you decide which of these two sentences, the gold or the distractor, should continue the passage? And we found that the, the model that uses the entity representation and the previous sentence representation uh, significantly outperformed the other two baselines that correctly identifying which sentence should come next in the story. I suppose this is primarily for, like, because uh, of the centering theory, because people tend to talk about the same entity. Uh, is that your intuition of why right. this would work um, better? I, so I think it's it's both the, the entity information, but also that that representation of the previous sentence is helpful, too, because the, the two baselines have one or the other, and you need both in order to do well with this task. All right, so, so I guess that concludes the discussion of, of this paper. But more broadly, it seems like there is... A lot of more work on generation these days. I was at NACL last month and I saw many papers talking about generation tasks ranging from traditional things like translation, summarization, but also generating adversarial, adversarial training examples uh, or newer tasks like collaborative storytelling. So uh, any thoughts on what's driving the uptake in natural language generation? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we have 
models now that can take in a bunch of data and try to try to generate or like responses and dialogue or stories or things like that. But I think now that kind of the seek to seek baseline is being tried out and you're seeing, oh, there's still problems here. This didn't this didn't magically make all of those issues disappear. How can we go from sort of traditional methods, like for stories, for example, where, where things were um, often rule-based or things like that, to these models where you have maybe tons of story data, but you're not really utilizing any of it in a particularly interesting way. How can we kind of combine these two together into uh, a model that can generate text uh, that people actually like and enjoy? I think there's a lot of space there, and people are really starting to, to dig into that now. Um, I think also the applications are just really exciting to people, right? We have we have these uh, assistants and chatbots and kind of these side of things that people get really excited about, but there's a lot to do to improve those still. And I'm excited about the creativity space, like moving away from, like how do we support people in tasks like creative story writing or poetry, or um, I think language is a really important way that we interact, so if we can generate that, um, the applications for it are really, really wide-reaching. I guess another thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently um, and um, colored the, I guess, was behind the language modeling questions I asked. We uh, we saw the Elmo paper at NACL about using language models to do better contextualized representations of words. OpenAI recently published a very similar paper with a slightly different take on this. This is why I was thinking um, how do we get better language models that actually capture discrete kinds of structure like entities, for instance? And it seems like if you can get a good entity language model and have a good way to get better contextualized word representations that are informed by this discrete notion of entities, maybe you should just have a better ELMO, right? Does that make sense? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I guess it depends on the tasks where you want to use Elmo for, if it's, uh, especially if it's something that's like a narrative, that I think that would make a ton of sense. Uh, I think in other contexts, like, I don't know, if we're generating scientific papers, you'd want to have better representations of other constructs, uh, maybe not entities, but maybe like, you know, section information or who the authors are and what the venue is about. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense that we try to squeeze in more information about the document or the kind of text that we're trying to uh, to encode. All right, any more thoughts on this paper or on, on the area as a whole before we conclude? No, just that we're yeah, excited to see what happens next. I think there's a lot of, as we saw in that human evaluation, there are a lot of um, open questions there, and uh, we're excited to see what comes out of it next. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having us.